Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of um, Matthew. Matthew. Chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want to speak a little bit about why didn't somebody do something? Why didn't somebody do something? The Lord tells us in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, that God sought for a man to stand before him and the people, and he says he found none. When I read that, I thought, well, why didn't somebody do something? You read the story in the Old Testament about David as a young lad had been anointed to be the next king of Israel because Saul wasn't obeying the Lord, and God was going to replace him. Now, he can replace you as far as positions go, but salvation is eternal. That He promises never to take it away. That is the gift of God. But one day he went and he heard a big old giant by the name of Goliath making threats and challenges, and not a man of the whole army of Israel would take up the challenge. David walked up and he heard all of this bolstering going on and says, why, uh, why don't somebody do something? Why don't somebody do something about this? Well, if nobody else did, he did. And God used him. And he killed the Goliath and cut off his head. God richly blessed him. The Bible says David behaved himself wisely. Then more wisely. Much wisely. As he grew in the Lord, he became very wise. After you and I trust Christ as our Savior, we're supposed to grow in the Lord, become wiser in our life. Here in the book of Matthew in chapter 9, look at verse 35. And it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, and sheep having no shepherd. You would think if sheep are scattered, there's no shepherd, somebody should have done something. Jesus said in verse 37, he says, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Well, somebody should have done something. Is it because God didn't ask anybody to go? Or is it somebody didn't go? Somebody failed. Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. All I know is this. I am so thankful for the one man in my life that crossed my path. In 76 years, only one man has ever told me about the Lord. I'm glad that that one man decided to do something about it. He crossed my path and he told me about the Lord. If I had stood on the brink of hell and was getting ready to be cast into hell at the great white throne judgment, would I have cried out, why didn't somebody do something? Why didn't somebody tell me? Why didn't somebody explain it to me? But I'm glad that somebody did. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you are glad somebody did something. When I was 22 years old, it burdened me so bad I couldn't stand it. And I didn't know what anybody else was going to do, but as far as I was concerned, I want to do something. I want to tell people how to go to heaven. 
I wasn't interested in being a preacher, evangelist, nothing. I just wanted to tell people how to go to heaven. And that's why I wound up going to Bible college. I just didn't want people to go to hell. Somebody ought to do something. But as time goes on, the less burden I see of God's people, they're content to let nothing be done. They're too busy, their plate's too full, they don't have time, they're not committed, they have no burden, they have no burning coals inside that sets them on fire where they want to make a difference. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jude. The book right before the book of Revelation. Right before the book of Revelation. And you'll notice there's a a statement here mentioned in verse 20. Jude in verse 20. This is after you have trusted Christ as Savior. Now that you know the Lord, you know you're going to heaven when you die. He says in verse 20, But ye beloved, building up yourselves. Now I tell the college kids, the greatest thing you'll ever build is not a ministry. Build up yourself strong in your holy faith. And then whatever you are, you reproduce. If you're a soul winner, you reproduce soul winners. If you're lazy, you produce laziness. If you're motivated, you can motivate. But see, some people, they don't want to get involved and make a difference. They're content just, let everybody just live their own lives. Just be content. Do whatever you want to do. I know there's people who say, it's not my business to try to tell other people what to do. Yes, it is. My business is telling people what they're supposed to do. Think about it. Ain't that true? I'm supposed to tell. Well, you get married and you have kids. Are you supposed to tell your kids how to live? Well, I don't want to tell them how to live. When you see somebody in air, do you have the courage to rebuke them? To rebuke them? To make them face the consequences? Well, I love them too much to hurt their feelings. That can be a cop-out. Because you're afraid you don't want to do it. You don't want to offend somebody. But God's word is pure. It is clean. It is clear on what we're to do. But now look in verse 20. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. See, these are things you and I are supposed to do. We're to build up ourselves by putting our faith in what the Word of God says. So that's holy faith. Faith where you put it in God's holy Word and become a strong Christian. And then in this verse, keep yourselves in the love of God. Because there's some people, believe it or not, who have fallen in love with the world. When you read the book of Revelation in chapter 2, he talks about the church there in Ephesus. I know thy works. I know your labor of love. He said, but I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. In other words, you don't love God like you used to. And little by little, you can fall from your steadfastness and you need to be on guard. Look what he says here in verse 22. 
and of some have compassion. And see those next three words? Making a difference. Somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to make a difference. Don't you believe somebody ought to make a difference? Well, as long as it's somebody else. Maybe you need to ask this way. Maybe I ought to do something. Maybe I can make a difference. Maybe I ought to do something. Whenever you and I stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, and he says, and every man has to give an account of himself. It's going to be too late to say, you know, I should have done something. I should have done something. I could have made a difference. I could have made a difference. Look what else he says in verse 23. Making a difference, and in verse 23, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Pulling them out of the fire. See, where are people that are lost? Where are they going? Look what he says in verse 7. Verse 7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, given themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of what kind of fire? Eternal fire. Somebody ought to do something. Somebody ought to make a difference. Somebody ought to have compassion. Somebody ought to be moved with fear. Somebody ought to pull them out of the fire. Somebody ought to do it. If you think about it, we're living in good old Christian America, and everybody's a Christian in America. I mean, we're not Chinese, are we? So we must be Christians. That's what I used to think. I didn't know the difference. But when I found out that I'm going to heaven, I also realized there's others that are going to hell. And I want to do something. I knew I didn't have everything put together. I knew I was a little on the rebellious side, a little cocky, smart aleck, you know, like you used to be too. Know it all. Don't want nobody telling me what I can and cannot do. But I wanted to make a difference. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Peter. Just turn to the left a couple pages. 2 Peter and look in chapter 1. 2 Peter in chapter 1. And you'll notice there, it talks about in verse 1, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Did you know that one of the most precious things you have ever done is put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you. Precious faith. And then you'll look down here in verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious, what? Promises. Did you know after you trusted Christ as your Savior and you received the free gift of eternal life, God has given to us precious promises in His Word. And you would think that um, somebody ought to believe those promises. Somebody ought to be willing to step out and trust God and try to shake the world with the truth, the power of the gospel. Somebody ought to do something. Wouldn't it be great if we had a hundred young men coming up like Jesse and Trent, John John, that want to serve the Lord? 
Wouldn't it be great? But not just them. Ask yourself this question. Maybe I ought to do something. Maybe I could make a difference. If you lived your whole life and just stayed out of trouble and enjoyed yourself and had money in the bank, you can retire. Everything's wonderful. But did you make a difference in the destiny of where people are going to spend eternity? Well, look at another thing I want you to see there. Look in verse 3. According to his divine power, his, the Lord's divine power, because you see, you and I, we were not saved by fleshly power. We weren't saved by worldly power. We weren't saved by electrical power. We were saved by a stick of dynamite. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You and I were saved by divine power. We didn't have the power to save ourselves, and we don't have the power to keep ourselves saved. We were saved by divine power. So that new birth that you and I have received, God left us here on planet Earth because there's something he wants us to do that is divine. You and I have been given this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, I also want you to know that there is, a, in verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. This divine nature has to come from divine power came from the Lord himself. God gives us a divine nature, a spiritual nature, a godly nature. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, you were born into God's family, you're God's child, and you have a godly nature. A nature like God's. But when we were born into this world in this old flesh body, we have a, a sinful nature like the devil. So there's God and, and there's the devil. I've got an old sinful nature like the devil, and I've got a new birth, a new nature like God's. It's divine. And somebody ought to make a difference between the two. You can live like the flesh, or you can live according to that new birth, that divine nature that God's given to you. So he tells us here, add to your faith. See what he says there in verse 5? Beside this, given all diligence, see these next four words, add to your faith. You have eternal life. You're, God's You're going to heaven. If you never do anything from the Lord, that doesn't annul what God did for you. He still saved you, gave you a new birth, new nature. You're good to go. You're going to heaven because of what he did for you. But don't you want to make a difference? Don't you want God to use you to... Make a difference in somebody else's life. I would think so. So he says, there's some things I want you to add to your life. And then if you'll do these, in verse 8, if, if, see that word if? If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. It doesn't say, and you'll be saved. No, you're already saved. But you want to be a fruitful Christian. You should want to make a difference. You can do this. Because why didn't somebody do something? You notice the next verse, it says in verse 9, but he that lacks these things is blind. So can a Christian become blind? There are believers who are blind as a bat. You can say, you got to do this. Well, I don't see that. 
You ought to go to church. I don't see that. You ought to read God's Word. I don't see that. What are they telling you? They're blind. That's their way of saying, I'm blind. I can't see. You ought to win souls. I don't see that. You ought to support missions. I don't see that. You're blind. And you don't see. And there's some people who will see. And they'll sacrifice and give and do and and get involved. And you can count on them. Remember this. If the pastor can't count on your faithfulness, neither does God. If I can't count on your faithfulness, neither does God. Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. If you're not faithful, you're not usable. It doesn't matter about talents and abilities. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. If you're not faithful, you're not obedient. You're disobedient. And you can be a maverick. You know, a maverick just steered and wants to go his own way. Doesn't even want to go with a herd. Just whenever it gets ready. According to their own moods. But you can't count on them. There is a thing about being faithful. And so he says here in verse 10, if, see that word, if, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. So can a Christian fall in the Christian life? Can you fall? Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And you'll notice that um, there are some verses in the Bible that says, those who have trusted Christ as Savior, you can fall. You can't fall from salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But a Christian can fall in the Christian life. And that's something you need to be aware of. You don't want to be one of those who fall by the wayside. So he makes a statement down here in verse 8. And there's only one little word I want you to underline in that verse. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed. Not everybody does the same thing. And see that word? Fell. Fell in one day. 23,000 of the children of Israel that came out of Egypt across the Red Sea. And lo and behold, a time of testing. Maybe a couple million people and 23,000 died at one time. Why? They fell. They fell. And notice what else he says here. Look there in verse 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he what? So fallen is a possibility. Notice the very next words in the next verse talks about there hath no temptation. It means if you don't stay close to the Lord and you don't build yourself up strong in your most holy faith, if you don't want to make a difference, you're going to fall in the Christian life. And you're not going to be as blessed as you could have been. But you'll bring it on yourself. You'll do it to yourself. I can't make anybody serve God. I can't make anything do right. I don't punish anybody. I don't do anything to anybody. Because, see, that's a personal thing between you and God. Therefore, have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is what? God is faithful. And if God is faithful, what do you think he wants us to do? To be found faithful. Doing what you can with what you have, where you are, for the glory of God. You can do this. You want to make a difference. You don't want to just always be somebody else. God got to use somebody else. Why can't God use me? 
I want to make a difference. I want to do something. Look there in the Galatians in chapter 5, the book of Galatians in chapter 5, real quick. Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to look there in verse 4. Verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. You say, who's this talking to? Well, you see up there in verse 1, he's telling the Galatian believers to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. Don't be entangled with the yoke of bondage. In other words, putting yourself back under the law or trying to put others back under the law. As though you can be saved by the law. He says, if you think you have to be circumcised now to be saved. He says, I got news for you. In verse 3, he is a debtor to do the whole law. So in chapter 3, in verse 10 of this same book. He says, Curses is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, if you've got to keep the law, you've got to keep all of the law. If you've got to be saved by the law, you've got to keep all of it. And if you're going to be spiritual by the law, you've got to keep all of it. And the law condemns. The law is legalism and it does not work and it will not save. So you can fall underneath the legalism of the law and think that's going to make you spiritual. Well, I go to church. If you're doing that thing, that's what makes you spiritual. It won't make you spiritual. Reading your Bible. These are things that can help you. Oh, that's good. But just because you do those things doesn't make you right with God. See, being right with God is a spiritual thing. Not just because you obey certain rules and regulations. When you think that obeying rules and regulations is what makes you saved, that's legalism. That's not true. If you think doing those things is going to make you what makes you spiritual, that's not true. But if you're spiritual, you can do those things and will do those things that are right. But they won't make you right with God. Just because you came to church this morning and you got a Bible in your hand and you look real sharp and pretty, smell good and all that kind of stuff, that don't make you right with God. You can sit here and be just as wicked as anybody. And your thoughts can meander and you can think of all kind of things you're not supposed to think about. True? Am I telling you the truth? You know I am. This means yes. This means no. Oh, no. Turning your Bible to the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke in chapter 8. You've heard of the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, there's something that you uh, need to see. In chapter 8, this is on page 1083 in a Bible that's loaned to you. And I want you to look down here in uh, the verse 11 because he's explaining to them the story of the parable. Because they said, um, what does that mean? So he says in verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then come up the devil taketh away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. So in other words, being saved is all they have to do is to believe. See, that's the same message that Jesus preached, and Paul, and David, and Abraham, and Moses, and John the Baptist. They all preached the same gospel. But it says, lest they should be saved. So they weren't because they didn't believe. 
Verse 13, they on the rock, they, which, when they heard, received the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe. And in time of temptation, fall away. You see, the reason you can hear the gospel and believe it, and have eternal life and be saved. But because you have no root, you don't dig into the word and become established because you know what the verses say and you got salvation verses and you believe them and you got some uh, service verses and you believe them and your faith goes down like roots around those rocks in the word of God and you become stabilized so that every wind of doctrine that comes by doesn't move you. But because your roots are not deep, you're going to fall away. You're going to fall into the world and you're not going to be able to be used by God. And you're not going to make a difference. You're not going to grow strong. Saved, but fruitless. And that's why he talks about they bearing the fruit. See, in verse 14, the last thing, bring forth no fruit to maturity. And then verse 15, bring forth fruit with patience. So there's fruit that God wants you to have. That's what Jesus said. Now take your Bible and turn to Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, and you'll notice in verse 13, there's an interesting little verse. Because he just said, you know, we shall all give an account before God. And we're all going to have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And so he makes a statement here in uh, verse 12. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, one day... You and I are going to have to give an account to God. And we will probably say, well, why didn't I do something? Why didn't I do something? I could have made a difference. Maybe you could have led your grandfather to the Lord or your grandmother. Maybe you could have led that little girl to the Lord. Or maybe some uh, aunt or uncle. Maybe some neighbor. Maybe somebody where you work. And all it would have taken is just you to have the courage to have, do you know where you're going to go when you die? Has anybody ever taken the Bible and showed you how to have eternal life? If you could know you could go to heaven, wouldn't you like to know? Do you mind if I take just a moment and tell you what happened to me? Or I know I have eternal life, and I want you to know. You know, you know God loves you, and so do I. Now let me tell you how you can know that God loves you. You, you figure out a way to open up a conversation, but you can do it. But people don't do it. Because they don't want to either offend somebody or be offended. Because of fear. Being scared. I understand all of that. I have those same things that hits me. It doesn't happen to me no more different than it does you. And sometimes I have to make myself do it. The other day, I went back there to see those guys that were doing some work. And there's one guy sitting there in the van. I thought he was supposed to be in there working. But he was sitting in the van. And I asked him, I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, where are you going to go when you die? He said, I'm going to heaven. Well, by the time I got through, he really wasn't known for sure if he was going to go to heaven because if he did something bad, he wasn't going to make it. So I explained the gospel to him. Now, really, I was tired, and I really wanted to go on home. And I really didn't even care about talking to him. But I did because I know I'm supposed to. You ever do something like it? Because you're supposed to. You know, if you did it because you know God says to do it, that's a pretty good reason for doing it. But now notice what he says here in verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore for purposes of condemnation. 
But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Can you, by your manner of life, your decisions, can you cause somebody else to fall? What does the book say? Let no man put a stumbling block. In other words, just because you can do it, well, it didn't bother me, it doesn't bother me, it doesn't bother me. What about the person who's watching you? What if every Christian lived exactly the way you live? Any problem with that? What kind of a testimony do you have? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Be ye followers of me. Be ye followers of me. Can you look at somebody and say, look, follow my example. If they followed your example, how godly would they be? How spiritually minded would they be? Or would you be ashamed if other people actually lived their Christian life the way you lived yours? Now, remember now, I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm talking in a generic way, general way. I don't have somebody in mind. You watch when somebody leaves. Her. Why didn't you just tell me if you wanted to tell me like that? <laughs> there isn't anybody in particular. I'm just telling you because this is what the book says. And I want God's people to obey the Lord. I want the best for you. Turn in the Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy in chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I want you to look there in uh, verse 6. For those who would like and desire to be a preacher, a pastor, a bishop, an elder. What he says here. In verse 6. Not a novice. Lest being lifted up with what? He fall. Can a person who has a, a great goal in life, wanting to be used, can he still be lifted up with pride? And pride cometh before what? Before a fall. Can you fall? Every one of us in this room can fall. You can fall to pride. You can fall to temptations. You can fall to a lot of things. Because your roots are not deep and you're not strong in the Lord. And you say, well, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, I don't know what happened. I just don't know what happened. Yes, you do. You weren't strong in the Lord. It didn't matter. It does matter. Everything matters. Every decision matters. And so he says here in verse 7, Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Is there a devil after you? And he doesn't care how he catches you, how he snares you. Remember, there is a devil and he is real. And the devil is alive on planet earth. And he's going to do everything he possibly can to destroy your walk with God. And he doesn't care how he does it. If you fall, it won't matter. The reason won't matter why you fell. You fell. Well, I fell because. Leave out the because. It's because you didn't do what God says to do. It didn't. Make a difference. It's not that important. And all of it's important. Look in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter in chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. There's a verse here toward the end of the book that says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before... Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. You may be stabilized today. You're faithful. You're doing right. 
Can you fall tomorrow? Being led away. If the people you hang around, if they're not godly individuals, they ought not be your closest friend. Now, you've got to have some friends in order to reach people and help them. But if your closest friends are not walking with God, it won't be long. They will influence you. I don't have any close friends that are not walking with God. They don't walk with God. I don't walk with them. You say, who do you think you are? Holy, holy. Say it any way you want. But I've made my decision, and that's why at 76, I'm still walking with God. I had to make this choice. After I trusted Christ as my Savior, I had some friends. Yes, I thought they were friends. I never had to give up one of my friends. They gave me up. I decided I'm going to walk with God. I want to serve God. I want God's will for my life. They didn't. You go your way and I'm going mine. And yes, it cost me. That's okay. God gave me a whole bunch of new ones who love the Lord and wants to go in the same direction. So you don't want to fall from your own steadfastness. You want to make a difference. I got a little video that I want to show you right quick. And this little video is, well, you watch it. And I think that you will uh, see and understand the purpose of it. Because today we have communion service. You know why we do communion service? Because, you see, you and I were lost. We were going to hell. We had no way of saving ourselves. But somebody did something about it. Somebody did something. Because he could. Because he could. I want you to watch this. Tell a little story. A father wanted his children to understand the Holocaust, and he decided to take them to Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. That's the memorial to the 11 million victims of the attempt to eradicate the Jewish people. Though concerned that his 11-year-old daughter was really young to view the horrific scenes depicted in Yad Vashem, he determined that well, she could always be taken out of the experience if it became too traumatic. Now, the little girl viewed the section depicting the Warsaw Ghetto, that's where children as young as four or five were left on the streets to fend for themselves after their parents were taken on trains to the death camps. Some of those children died from freezing. Others were shot for sport by the Nazi soldiers. And that's verified because the Nazis actually took photos of themselves doing it as if they were proud to engage in such barbaric behavior. The little girl gazed at the photos from the death camps like Dachau, Bergen-Belsen, and Auschwitz-Birkenau. That was the death camp where 10,000 Jews, including women, children, and infants, were murdered in cold blood every day. And when the crematoriums couldn't handle the numbers, the Nazis took Jews by the thousands to large pits dug into the ground, and they shot them in mass, then pushed their bodies into the pit until another group could be shuttled to the site. The little girls stared at the photos of the disgusting destruction of innocent human lives and would sometimes read the inscriptions below the photos. As she prepared to exit the Yad Vashem exhibit with her father, she paused by the guest book on a podium on the way out. She reached into her father's pocket, took out his pen, then she began to write in the guest book. She put her name, address, and then she paused when it asked for comments. The father watched over her shoulder to see if what she wrote 
might help him to know whether the lesson of the Holocaust had registered with his young daughter. As he watched, she wrote words that he'll never forget. She simply wrote, why didn't somebody do something? That's all she wrote. But her words were haunting. Why didn't somebody do something? It was hard for her to understand how such despicable things could be happening to human beings, and no one would speak up or stand up and try to stop it. She put the pen back into her father's pocket, and she didn't speak for several hours. But he never had to ask again if she understood the lesson of the Holocaust. That little girl goes to another podium almost every day these days. It's one at the White House. That little girl was my daughter, Sarah, who is now a wife, a mother, and you know her as press secretary to the President of the United States. We were there in Israel. We actually went and we saw all that. I could have spent a month in there just watching all that stuff. And as I watched, I kept thinking, why in the world didn't somebody do something? It took time. But we ought to be so thankful that America did do something. It's not how many they killed. It's how many more they would have killed if he hadn't have been stopped. You realized it would not have stopped over there. They would have come over here. And do you think they would have let us live or gassed us also? All these things that have happened. But whenever I saw this just the other day, I thought about, you know, watching all these pictures that we've seen there. They had videos. Wondering why didn't somebody do something. And I think about it. Is there anything worse than that? Is there anything worse than that? And I realize this whole thing about, you know, this Bible, about a heaven and about a hell. We try to convince people to go to heaven by telling how wonderful it is and how horrible hell is so that they don't want to go there. But you realize that one of these days when it's all over, there are literally going to be multitudes of people that are going to be cast into hell. You think, well, why didn't somebody do something? Well, for saving their souls, paying for their sins, Christ came because that's what he wanted to do, something about it. Every time we have the Lord's Supper, you see, we're, we're, we're talking about this is somebody who did something about it. This is somebody who did have compassion. Somebody who cared. Somebody who wanted to make a difference. And see, the closer you get to the Lord, the more you care and the more compassion you have and the more love you have and the more you want to make a difference. This makes sense to me. I don't want to wait until I get to heaven or stand at the great white throne judgment. And the Bible talks about, and whosoever's name were not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And we're going to be all there and we're going to say, well, maybe we could have done more. Did we do all that we could have done? Could we have supported more missionaries? Could we have gotten more kids to ranch, more into Awana? 
that we've done more with YouTube and radio and the internet, is there more we could have done? Could more have come to college? Could more have been trained? We'll know when we get to heaven what could have been done. Look up here. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, you have to be perfect. And we're not perfect. And we can't save ourselves. We can't earn our way to heaven. And if somebody doesn't do something, no man can get to go to heaven. No man has ever lived good enough to deserve to go to heaven. So nobody would get to go unless somebody does something. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God in the flesh came into this world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sins separates us from the Lord. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But when he took the sins of all the world upon himself and he paid for it, he died. And he paid for our sins because he didn't want us to do it. He had compassion. He wanted to make a difference. He didn't waste his time. I'm glad he did it if it was just for me. Aren't you glad he did it if it was just for you? But he did it for the whole world. Came back from the dead and says, the only thing you and I have to do is the only thing we can do is to believe that he did it for us. So when you believe he did this for you, he says, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. God gives you everlasting life. You get to go to heaven on what Christ did for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it, work for it. You don't deserve it. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not trust Him right now? There's no tricks to this. There's no gimmick. We don't have something we're going to have to make you do. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to sign a card, give money. Because eternal life is the gift of God. It's free. I can't give it to you. He can. I can only tell you about him. So in the quietness of this moment between you and the Lord, would you right now say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And I'm going to trust him right now as my Savior. And friend, if you'll trust him as your Savior, he said he'd give you right now as a free gift of eternal life. Would you trust him? Would you believe it? If you're making that decision, I'd like to know and I'd like to have prayer for you. But I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. But I'm going to ask you right where you are if you'll just let me know by an upraised hand. That means you're just trusting Christ as your Savior, but you want me to know and I'd like to have prayer for you. Is there anyone at all before we close? Say, preacher, that made sense, and I'll trust Christ as my Savior. I'd like for you to pray for me. Would you just slip in very quickly? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? If you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, now is a good time to do so. If you're watching by the Internet, right on the screen, says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. If you've never done so, would you trust him? Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you've done for us, for giving us that free gift of everlasting life. We're so thankful that you did love us. You had compassion, and you were moved. You came and did what you did. You paid for our sins. 
to make a difference. And Father, I am thankful. It made a difference in my life. And I'm grateful. So thankful. So bless each one here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.